0: Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, talks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself. talks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Good
1: Evil. Is There Such a Thing as Good Evil? So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 50. I shared this just recently with a group of men. After I spent a few millennia with Jesus, although there won't be time in heaven, so you're just there. I want to sit down with this guy Joseph in the Old Testament. I really recommend you go back, read Genesis, read the Bible, you know, just read the whole thing. But the story of Joseph kind of begins where, as a young boy... God reveals some things to him about his future and as a young boy he's not very wise about how he shares that but one of the things would be that his brothers would bow down to him one day well that didn't go over big with the older brothers he's the youngest and if you know the bits and pieces of the story he keeps telling this story to them finally they've had enough the dad this is his favorite son Joseph turns out Israel is the dad and joseph is his favorite son sends him out to check on his older brothers they've had enough they're going to kill him one brother says we can't kill him we're not going to kill him then we're going to throw him in a pit you know we're going to figure out what we're going to do but we're not letting him be with us anymore so this is a young kid teenage kid probably they kill an animal put it on his coat of many colors maybe that part of the story you know that's joseph coat of many colors so they spread blood all over it, take the goat back to his dad, and say to his dad, "Wild well, the animal killed him, now, this is family. These are brothers, 11 brothers, all corroborating this story to lie to dad, break his heart, that Joseph is dead, and it's over. And Joseph is sold to some slave traders that come by, and he's gone. Now what fascinates me about this young guy is that he knew so strongly that God had his hand on his life, that even that was not enough to ditch over. If his family abandoned him, that there must be something to it. So you don't see Joseph complaining. There is not a single verse in all of the story of complaint. This sucks. Why did God do this to me? This is not fair. There's none of that. These guys take him to Egypt. A guy named Potiphar buys him, ends up running Potiphar's house. Potiphar's married to a wild woman. I'm sure he was aware of this. And Potiphar's wife was basically chasing Joseph, this young kid around the house, almost every day, sleep with me, sleep with me, sleep with me. And Joseph made sure he was never in the house alone, whatever, to have this deal. One day she grabs his coat, he tries to get away, pulls the coat, she screams rape, and now he's in trouble. Falsely accused, and I believe the husband knew who his wife was because of the prison that Joseph ended up in. Joseph ended up in the nicest, highest prison you could end up in, in the king's prison. So you say, well, now it really sucks. Now he's gone from a slave to a prisoner, and he ends up running the prison. No complaints. Now, how do you keep going like that? You have to know that God has his hand on your life. And if God tells you something, you have to know there's a plan, there's a purpose, and even the stuff that happens you can't explain, or if it's evil, as we'll see in a minute, even the evil God can turn for good. Okay, So, runs the prison. Long story, you need to go read this about one of... Pharaoh's right-hand guys does something stupid, ends up in prison. Interprets a dream, forgets about Joseph, and then all of a sudden mentions him a few years later and says, "Hey, there's a guy in prison runs the prison, and he can help interpret your dream." And within hours, Joseph goes from running the prison, clean him up, taking him before Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh tells the dream. Joseph, you know, tells him what it means, tells him what's up, and just like that, at 30 years old, becomes prime minister of all of Egypt running the whole country. And you say, well, how could he possibly have been prepared to do that? Because his attitude was not affected by his circumstances. You say, well, this is terrible stuff. It is terrible stuff. But what if God's got a plan in spite of the terrible stuff? So then he's prime minister of Egypt. His dad still doesn't know he's alive. His brothers are back home. And they don't know what's happened to him. A famine breaks out. So they literally have to go to Egypt to get food. And if you read the story, you get the details on this. The brothers come, you know, go before Joseph, not knowing it's their little brother. And he doesn't tell them. He gets an interpreter. He can understand everything they're saying as they talk about, oh my gosh, we feel terrible. We've done this terrible thing. Interprets everything, but he hears what they're saying and he hears them confessing, we should never have done what we did. So long, long story short, he reveals himself to his brothers. And if you'll look at Genesis chapter 50, they come, they get some food, they're going to be okay. Genesis chapter 50 verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so this is jumping way ahead, Israel finally dies, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they're acknowledging what they did. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, we are your servants. And it's exactly what he was shown as a child would happen. They would bow to him. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Now, I don't know if you feel comfortable highlighting stuff in your Bible. These are the verses you highlight. Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Am I like God that I could judge you and execute you and do that? Verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You intended evil, but God intended good from your evil. And so you say, well, does it take that? Unfortunately, sometimes it does. But you say, well, then my life's over. Why would God allow all this evil, even in my own house, to come to pass and be perpetrated on me? There couldn't possibly anything good come from this. But the fact of the matter is, good does come from evil because God is God. So be very, very careful to get focused on your fear, to get focused on what you think has destroyed your life or is going to destroy your life, and say, no, I will not look at that. I'm going to look at God and trust that he can take this pile of manure if I shove a seed in it and something will grow. Because that's sometimes what we do. We come to God and we say, God, I just got this pile of of my life. What are you going to do with this? He goes, great, because I've designed it where that manure is the most fertile place on the planet. Just give me access to even the crap of your life and I'll shove a seed in it and watch what I can do. And what does the enemy want to do? Your life's over. No hope, no future. Let me tell you how you know there's a future. Take your right or left hand, yeah, everybody take your right or left hand, and breathe into your palm. That means there's a future. Because if you're not breathing, you don't have a future. If you're breathing, you got a future. You say, well, how long am I going to live? You get one breath at a time. What are you going to do with it? Well, bad things have happened to me. Join the crowd. Because that's all anybody's got. Because it's a fallen world. Now, go to Genesis 45. I don't normally go backwards, but 45, the first few verses that build up to what happens, that we read the culmination of this, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, that many people's lives would be saved. In Genesis 45, verse 1, then Joseph, this is when he can't take it anymore, he's got to reveal to his brothers that it's him. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me, So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. No one in the room but Joseph and his brothers. And he is so overwhelmed with emotion of gratitude of whatever he was feeling that he wailed and wept so loud that though they were not in the room, they all heard Joseph crying. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. They had not recognized him, didn't know it was him till this moment. I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I don't think he's throwing them under the bus, but they're pretty much there already but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life you say but this is a terrible story but Joseph was wise enough and godly enough and had trusted God long enough through this whole process that he got it he realized wherever in the process of growing up and learning you know what this is terrible stuff but God's got this And he is using my lost life, as though it looked like it was lost, to save other lives. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Sometimes something terrible, something evil is allowed and has to happen for there to be deliverance. And where better do you see that than with Jesus? How is it possible to be God in the flesh and literally say, don't you know I could call ten legions of angels and stop all of this and to not stop it and know that tremendous evil was to be perpetrated on him and dumped on him? As the sacrificial lamb with all my sin, all your sin, all my sin I haven't even committed yet. Sins I have not yet committed or covered on the cross. Everyone who ever lived or ever will live. You say, well, that's evil. It's not just evil that it happened. It's evil, literal evil that got dumped on him. He didn't deserve that. But if you don't get that, you don't get anything. If he doesn't take that hit, we don't get what we got. We don't get grace. We don't get mercy. We got nothing. So people say, why do you talk about Jesus so much? It's a fact. you got nothing without him. Now, because we live in a fallen world and there is evil, you say, well, are you trying to say these terrible things that have happened to me? And people ask me about this every once in a while. They say, how do you listen to the things that you hear and not just get completely overwhelmed? Thank God for memory loss. I think all of us could attest to this. There are things I can't remember, about, like little snippets of my childhood, scenes, places, but most of it I don't remember. And I think that's part of God's mercy in the way he built us. Because if we could remember every, 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 everything, you could not go forward. And I don't have to leave the room for this. Person by person, row by row. There are terrible things that have happened to people in this room. I'm not talking about what you've done. I'm talking about just stuff that has happened to you in your lifetime. And the question I get and the question God gets is, where is he or where are you when all this is going on? And why would you let terrible things happen to children, innocent children? You say, I have no answer for it. I don't either, but I know who is the answer. And I got nowhere else to go or nowhere else to send you. So you say you're saying that God could allow all of that and somehow he intends to bring good from it? You better pray so and you better believe so. You say, what could that possibly be? I encourage you to trust him and say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't know why you let this happen to me, but I am trusting you and I am willing to forgive whatever happened to me and do not let this be wasted. Whatever was intended for evil I ask you to bring good from it. Now, you say, well, how does that work out for people? It's hard. But I can also take you through this room, people who have experienced tremendous loss, tremendous pain. And when they tell me that they are willing to be a resource, then something that may not have happened to me I will sit with someone and say, would you be willing to talk to someone who would probably understand better than me what you're going through? And if they agree to it, now the person who has more than survived has gone way beyond what happened to him. sits with someone and says, there's hope. With the enemy intended for evil and was evil, God can bring good from, and I'm living proof of that. There's hope. Now you don't have to understand all that to believe all that. Go to Isaiah chapter 5. The one I'm kind of after here is verse twenty. We're gonna read it and you stop and thinking about what he's saying here, it is extraordinary. Verse twenty. Woe to those who call evil good. So what is that category? Someone says, Well, this is evil, but we've decided that it is good. And that's about the only way you can sin, because you can't well you couldn't say this is a terrible thing to do. So I'm gonna make what's evil good. So clearly that's going on in the world, has been for millennia. Woe to those who call evil good, and then he adds this, and good evil. Now you say, well, what's the difference? It's one thing for a culture to look at stuff and say, to something we would say or that God would say, this is evil, and they say, oh, no, no, this is a good thing now. But then when the culture, what was happening then within God's people, and I think clearly going on today, is people who come along and not only say that something evil is good, but then they take it and say, now we're saying that what is good is evil. And you say, well, what are the implications of that? You better be ready for this. Because the things that you consider to be evil are now good, and the culture says the things that we consider to be good are now evil. You say, well, how do you know what that is? Because the world always has it completely backwards. So if you want to know what God's way is, look at an unrepentant world and see what they're doing and just flip it around, and that's the answer. read the rest of the verse. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty in drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. So these people have gotten completely screwed up. And how is it possible? Somewhere they said what was good was evil and what was evil was good. You say, well, I don't agree with that. Then live something different. Stand for something. Speak up when something's said that you don't agree with. Say, you know what? I can't just sit here. That's not right. You say, well, I'm going to be ostracized, persecuted. Okay. (laughs) Got plenty of verses for that. Marvel not that the world hates you. In this world, you'll suffer, you know, tribulation, persecution. It's just part of the deal. Okay, one more. Go to Romans chapter 14. So I am going to read you this we're going to do a quick verse-by-verse study of Romans 14. And I'm reading the whole thing. not going to take a second to read it. But I want you to not just look at what it says. I want you to try to feel what it says and to say, okay, where am I in this explanation? And where's the other person on the other side of this? Romans chapter 14, verse one, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Okay. So what is this about? There were people back then who came out of a pagan society in the pagan society. They would take meat and offer it, these animals and offer them to idols. So when they came out of that, all of a sudden meat offered to idols or maybe meat completely just screwed them up and they're like, I just can't do it. So they become vegetarians because of their past and they just couldn't, they couldn't see how that eating that meat could be possible as a Christian. So you say, well, that's silly. It's just meat. Now listen to me. What may be silly to you may not be silly to somebody else. And what you value or where you are in a process may be where you are. Someone else may not be there in a process, "'Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, "'and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, "'for God has received him.'" So stop judging other people because they're at a different place than you in regard to technical things that are not necessarily sin unless you're violating your conscience and what the Holy Spirit told you to do, and I'll read you that verse in a minute, okay? "'Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, "'and let him who does eat not judge him who eats, "'for God has received him.'" who are you to judge another's servant to his own master he stands or falls indeed he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand so we all have the same master, as it turns out but we are responsible and answerable to him primarily not to each other in specific categories one person esteems one day above another and another esteems every day alike let each be fully convinced in his own mind now i grew up with this you couldn't do anything on sunday but eat maybe burp and sleep. I mean, that was it right Sunday. And you say, well, that's silly. You know, I mean, you went to church, you ate lunch, you took a nap. You didn't do anything that would be possibly misconstrued as enjoyable. So you're going to rest whether you liked it or not. Now, some people Sunday is a shutdown day. It's not my place to look at that person and go, dude, what is that? That's silly. Get outside, get some fresh air, enjoy the day. For them, that day, is it's in their head. And they are fully convinced this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, that changed with me, but people come from different places, right? Anybody raised with something kind of wacky that you kind of got past? But, like, all those people are in counseling, so they know good counselors. (laughs) Okay, so he goes from meat offered to idols, and he goes here now to days. One person esteems one day above another, and esteems every day alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So if you have a question about it, don't do it. Don't try to measure your life by someone else's. That's not your life. You be fully convinced in your own mind. If you're not, just say no he who observes the day observes it to the Lord and he who does not observe the day to the Lord he does not observe it he who eats eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks and he who does not eat to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks well you're missing out on a good steak you're gonna live right it's okay leave him alone "'For none of us lives to himself, "'and no one dies to himself. "'For if we live, we live to the Lord. "'If we die, we die to the Lord. "'Therefore, whether we live or we die, "'we are the Lord's. "'For to this end Christ died and lived again, "'that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. "'But why do you judge your brother? "'Or why do you show contempt for your brother?' For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. You're not going to be at my hearing. I'm not going to be at your hearing. You, if you're a believer, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the flesh. If you're not a believer, you will stand before God himself. And it's not a good place to end up. You want to make sure you end up before Jesus not God the Father so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God therefore let us not judge one another anymore but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way Verse 14, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. So you go to dinner with somebody who's got a real issue with whatever it is, and just to spite him and tell him you're free, you order something that'll drive him nuts. You're out of line. Well, that's stupid. No, it's not stupid if you care about people and you like the scriptures. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. You say, but this is silliness. No, it's not to them. So be sensitive to them, even if it's not where you have been or ever will be. Because you care about other people. Therefore, verse 16, Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So you're not doing a bad thing. It's not that what you're doing is evil, but it is seen as evil to someone else who doesn't see it as good. They perceive it as evil. So to be sensitive to them, you go, I'm out. I'll back off. It's not worth it to me. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another do not destroy the work of god for the sake of food all things indeed are pure but it is evil for the man who eats with offense so the thing that you are doing that is not a problem for you to do but when you do it in the wrong situation because you're not being sensitive to other believers around you now your good is evil just like that Because your motivation is terrible,
0: you're not taking them into consideration. Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, Richard Ellis Talks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. It is good neither to eat
1: meat, nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith and then look at this phrase for whatever is not from faith is sin now this makes people very nervous because what that implies is there is a massive gray area in the christian life and the fact of the matter is there is a massive gray area what do you mean by big gray area There are things that some Christians can do and others can't. What does that mean? It means that if you go to do something and you don't believe you have permission to do it and you do it anyway, you've sinned. And that's why you feel terrible. And the reason you try to justify what you're doing is that you pick someone else out and go, well, they do it. They're getting away with it. Why do I feel bad when they do it? And it looks like they don't feel bad because they have their relationship with God and you got yours. You got to do what he tells you to do and don't do anything you don't do by faith. Does this make sense? So don't let your good be evil spoken of because you're not sensitive and don't let what someone else is doing that you think is good become
0: evil for you because you don't have permission to do it. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talk sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us, richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day, and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.